Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I am Ned Bolting still, even now. I am still Laura Laker. And I'm still Adam Tranter. And collectively, unbelievably, we've reached the end of 2023. And in a real break with the way that podcasts normally wrap up the year, we thought we'd look back at the year, which is an unusual (laughs) way of doing the final podcast of the year. What a year it was. We've had highs. Guess what what sentences are going to come next? We've had lows. (laughs) Boo. We've had some culture wars. And we did a podcast in a pub. So how was 2023 for you? Or more recently, Adam, how was Euston Station for you last Friday night? Oh, yeah, great, great Because you two had a surprise meeting, didn't you? Definitely, Total surprise meeting, yeah. I was, yeah, all the trains are cancelled. I was in the pub. What a pub it is. Oh, yeah. Euston Station Station. on the mezzanine level. Yeah, Yeah, it's not great. And old Ned Bolton came and sat next to me. Opposite you. Yeah, Yeah, you're tapping away at your laptop there. And you were trying to get home. I was trying to get home. To your family who live Mm. in the the wilds of um, Worcestershire, no, Warwickshire. Yeah. And I was trying to get to an event in Hertfordshire and um, we both had a bit of an adventure because it was one of those days where, you, I don't know what the actual problem was, Laura, but most of the trains were cancelled. Seems then, like a normal occurrence yeah, now it's in just a Friday at Euston. And then the ones that weren't cancelled, it mm. just said delayed. Just delayed. Just delayed. And then the, all those eventually inevitably turned to cancelled. And oh, you man. eventually left the pub. I saw you at five o'clock in the afternoon and you left the pub at... Half nine at night. <laughs> Oh, I don't man. even drink as well. That's, that's the thing. a lot I of don't... non-alcoholic lager, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was funny though, that pub, yeah, like there were a few people getting thrown out of it. Like people just lose their minds when trains are cancelled. They just, they go into panic mode, of course, and that's understandable. And then they go into drinking into oblivion mode. Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of people in the pub. Yeah, a lot of people drinking. Yeah. But yeah, made it home. That was all good. And I don't want that to define my year necessarily. No. Um, so, <laughs> no. uh, but you know, it, 
uh, yeah, it's been it's been a year of high and highs and lows. Um, <laughs> some good stuff, some not so good stuff. All right, um, well, but maybe, maybe, we can get into that, can't we? Maybe, Laura, if I ask you a question about 2023, that we could answer now, and we'll see at the end of the podcast, which can't be too long because I've got dinner to cook tonight. <laughs> but um, I could ask you again to see if you still form the same judgment, having reflected on 2023. Okay. Do we leave the year in terms of active travel in a better place than we went into it? Ooh, that's an incisive Ooh, journalistic question. Uh, <sighs> well, I think some. I think there's been construction that's happened in 2023 of new routes, including in the West Midlands. Mm. So I'd say we're in a better place physically, but in terms of long-term prospects, a lot of them have been cut because long-term funding, second and third year of funding from the pandemic were cut rather unceremoniously in um, April, March. Yeah, that wasn't so good, was it? So I think in some ways it's better. If you on the face of it, it's better, but actually, long term, I don't know. Mm. I think things have been hampered somewhat. Long term, the thing that I was saying to someone the other day is that you, I shouldn't say I feel relaxed about it because I don't, but you, you you can't hold this stuff back. Like it, it's just a case of when, and when there's that realization. We saw, mm. no one would want to repeat of it, but you you saw during COVID that you could change transport policy and in a couple of days if you really needed to and we know we don't ever want anything like that again but it does show the kind of stuff that we are going to need to give people choices to decarbonize you know the more acute climate change becomes we are going to have to get with the program at some point and there's only so much rhetoric will get you before you actually need to do something because there's flooding close to home or that people don't have the choices they need or they can't afford it seemed like not that long ago people were queuing around the corner for petrol you know these markets are volatile you have Mm. to uh, invest in alternatives so long term i'm less worried it's just about sort of when rather than if Mm. i think it's a good point i guess people want this stuff don't they so like you say it's going to happen it's it's popular regardless of what people say in populist politics. Yeah, I, I certainly, I mean, it depends what it is, a broad church of things that you're sort of like bringing under one roof there. People want this stuff. I mean, people may want it in principle and then object to it when it's, yes. you know, at the end of their roads. It's very true. Born out of um, reason or ignorance or a combination of both, I don't mm. know. But also, uh, you know, maybe one of the lessons I've learned, I think, over this year is that people... I'm going to phrase it's almost like a double negative. People are opposed to these schemes less than one might imagine. And I think that yeah. that has been one of the learnings that I've made out of, mm. I think the, um, you know, one of the things we guess we're going to touch on is the, because I think this was new to 2023, the notion of a culture war mm. impinging on our area of interest here. And one of the learnings I've kind of taken from 2023 is that actually, by and large, with us all sitting here in London, the ULES culture war has been revealed to be a little bit of a straw man. Mm. And ultimately, I don't think we'll be sitting here next year. Well, no, I do think we'll be sitting here next year. I very much hope I we hope are. We will. I hope so. <laughs> but I don't think we'll be talking about, you know, Blade Runners burning down ULES cameras mm. and uh, or, or even planting a bomb under some of them uh, and uh, exploding a bomb. Yeah, yeah, if you'd had that on a bingo list of things I thought we'd be talking <laughs> think, about in active travel or I don't madness. think that. I think so. I, I'm trying to put a positive. I'm thinking about the highs okay. and the positive spins. I think actually, because the slight overplaying of the card of these kind of um, rather easy to reach for low-hanging fruits, well, people don't mm. want this stuff. People want the things of weather. I think that is, and I, it chimes in actually with what you were saying, Adam, that, you know, it's going to happen, the stuff, mm. and by and large, it, it will be em- embraced. It's. Um, do you think, to what extent, 
has it been sticky and slow in 2023 and sometimes gone in the wrong direction is as a result of factors that are way out of everyone's reach and almost understanding to wit the economic downturn in which we find ourselves sort of permanently locked into at the moment or a seeming sort of lack of any obvious way out and therefore active travel is still very vulnerable to you're shaking your head no it's yeah because it's not uh, cash is not the issue um yeah uh, this is the sort of first thing about active travel and you know i talk okay i'm talking with the perspective what i'm familiar with which is an urban area in the west midlands with a, a kind of devolution deal with some cash yeah you've got um, some money out yeah, there, haven't yeah. you? but lots of places have the places that want to do this have got money to do it have they got money to do everything they want to do no but it's actually about capacity and you know you go from spending not very much money on active travel for 30 years and then all of a sudden you want to increase that spend by you know 10 times whatever it is that's very difficult because some of the things that do link to money are how many permanent members of staff that you might have in a team that, that are ready to go and do this etc the whole system of active travel delivery relies a lot on contractors, consultancies and and things like that. So the, not having long-term funding is an issue because you can't plan. But when people have got long-term funding, you know, we've got five years of active travel funding and transport funding in the West Midlands and we're able to plan for it. What's holding us back perhaps is capacity. So it's not the At cash. national level, I, I think generally. I think I, I can't say that what my experience is is the same everywhere, but I suspect there's a common theme, which is a lack of resource for delivery, a lack of people in the supply chain. It, it was quite boring stuff, but if you take Active Travel England set up, which is something we heralded in as a, an immensely positive thing, they've got a headcount cap of 98 people. So in a very small industry, they've effectively taken 98 of the best Mm. people from mm. around the country you know just yeah. little things like that you wouldn't think about yeah so it's not actually cash it's about the delivery which is kind of a nice problem to be able to solve because it, it's about process it's about all the kind of boring stuff that doesn't get headlines so i don't think um the cash has been held back necessarily i would say there's a broader kind of philosophical point maybe about we find ourselves in this narrative don't we look into the culture wars this sort of narrative about how Putin's war in Ukraine has had a decimating impact on the world energy prices and things like that. And I, I guess that's sort of, it's not an untruth, it is true, but it would have been the much earlier investment in renewables. So again, this is like stuff like, we're going to get there, it's just about how quickly you do it. And the same with active travel, you know, people are suffering in a cost of living crisis. The best thing we can do is get on and deliver people cheap choices, because that's what's going to you know, free them up from car dependency, if you like. Mm. Do you think Adam's little little area is very patronizing? <laughs> Adam's little area, about four million people. <laughs> yeah, Adam's four million, four million, million population fiefdom um, <laughs> is actually bucking the trend and doing and is a beacon of light yeah, in, yeah, in an otherwise great. pretty yeah yeah. Do, I, I do see the West Midlands as a um, a positive in the year because I see what yeah. Adam's doing and um, Andy Street's been a great cheerleader for all of this stuff and has really stood behind it and have been. Um, there was a news piece uh, on on the local radio and he was very much defending the investment as a positive thing. And it's it's really, really nice to see. And I think regional mayors and London mayor are kind of bucking the trend nationally. But I think it's because they've got they've have got that capacity to do the long term planning and 
They can got, see long term, can't they? They yeah. can. They, they can. And they're delivering yeah. locally, which makes a big difference because yeah. you can you know what local people want, and people do kind of want to be able to cycle and walk, and they want cleaner air. And mm. yeah, it may be difficult to deliver, but as we saw with Clyde Lokes in the last episode, once you've done it, actually all of this stuff, and I'm sure all the ULES Blade Runners stuff will die down as people realise, oh, actually, you know, this isn't going to make a difference. This stuff's happening, and it's not going to change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it more feasible, without getting sort of lost in constitutional points here about the way that power has devolved in in this country, but maybe that's actually the only way of answering it. Why is it more feasible to think long term at a metropolitan level or a city level, council level than it is on a national level? I think it's just sheer sheer funding, because um, at a national level, we've basically got a year's funding. Um, The National Cycle Network doesn't have any funding for this current financial year, which is kind of almost over. It's sort of three quarters of the way done. And that's the case for a lot of this kind of national stuff. There is Travel England and the staff, but actually in terms of long-term funding nationally, it doesn't exist. Whereas city regions have got these longer-term settlements. I mean, I say that London just got another year of of funding and I think until then they had maybe up to March and so even London was saying well actually we don't know what we can deliver because we don't know what's going to happen after you know three months time but I think it is it's just because of the, the ability to employ people and fund basically long term because mm, they've got these settlements from government. Yeah the long term stuff really really helps. I think the the po- slight political thing I think that's interesting is mayors are and I don't think this is like a Labour or Conservative thing actually you know, I work for Conservative Mayor. There are lots of Labour metro mayors. You know, they're all largely in cities and urban areas, and it's going to be the urban areas that are at the sort of the the, the thick end of this and fighting the climate crisis, most, um, and where you can make the most impact. Cycling and, journeys, yeah, yeah. You can get the most amount of people mode shift. It's got the least car dependency potentially, and it's where you can make the most impact. Now, if we just sort of look at the makeup of our country and and how that works, you know, there is there is a focus on more rural areas if you look at just the way our sort of political system works and the seats and everything like that. So really, you know, urban areas need to get on with it regardless of whether it's like the national narrative or not because the issues are so acute and, you know, the reward is so so high. And, yeah, it's easy for, you know, I saw this, the funding settlement today for as we're recording for TfL for one extra, you know, year and the quote in there. Million. Yeah, and the quote literally says in there, you know, about you put oh, it yeah, out like that. It shouldn't have anti calm measures spent on it, you know, like Well, yeah, the, yeah, it was the rail minister, wasn't it, saying as long as we don't um upset the drivers. But it's interesting because fifty eight percent of Londoners don't have a access to a car or something. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and yeah. Hugh, it's, it's all politics because Hugh, Hugh Merriman, you know, he's a good minister, he's a good person he was chair of the transport select committee you know themselves they did inquiries into road pricing you know and it's the same thing and, and it's I, this I kind just, of cultural yeah, stuff i just don't it? think it's, it's cutting sort of... cutting through and that is one positive to take from this is you know the system has taken its best shot at this and at most for the middle ground there's been a shrug of the shoulders you know most people don't even know what an ltn is it's a tiny thing being paid out in the papers. Do you think that's yeah. true? Yeah. yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I've no evidence, but, you know, I'm just going to say that. I just think it's a very, very niche mm. concern. Yeah. What have your favourite things been from the year? Like? Well, we're recording this podcast. Yeah. We're recording this podcast. We were reminded we were flicking through all the various different amazing guests and locations. It wasn't this year we went to Nottingham, was it? That was last no. year. That was last year. We'll do a few more site visits, I think. Yeah, yeah. we should. That Laura was fun. We did Oxford. That was very good. Yeah, we've got, we've we got Barcelona coming up. Yeah, mm. yeah. 
And I was reminded that it was this year in March that I did a little special on um, my mate Steph Jones, who runs Exo Bikes. Yeah. And I've cycled here on my second Exo Bike. Brilliant. You've got a hybrid now as well as your I old road bike, got, which you got, I, pin- got I got a hybrid, but I was down at Steph's. So Steph, I can't remember, you know, just to recap who Steph was and what, who Exo Bikes are. They're an initiative that's set up by Steph, who's a remarkable force of nature, really, and, and his various different colleagues who help him on the, on, along the way, plus his cohort of trained they're much more than assistants now, um, colleagues mm. who, who have who've got this going. But the point being, he works with ex-offenders, and hence the name XO Bikes, and they train as, as bike mechanics. Yeah. And they have at their disposal, and this is going to rapidly grow next year, all the bikes that are impounded from the Metropolitan Police. They have now on the brink of doing oh, wow. a deal with another big city in England. I probably shouldn't say who it is. And another one and another one after that. Oh. Wow, so they're, they're moving. Doing great. They've opened another flagship Exo bike store in a really high profile location in Wandsworth town centre, where by the way, cause it's Southwest London, all their more posh restored bikes end up mm-hmm. for sale. But basically you can get a bike that is as good as new yeah. for half the list price because it's, it's secondhand, but it's, perfectly restored with new components for all the bits that need replacing. And not only that, but you are contributing towards an initiative that really genuinely offers a very coherent uh, future for a cohort of prisoners coming out of prison who really, really, really would struggle to find employment. And this is, um, this is serious here to stay and growing fast and they're going from strength to strength. So it's really, really exciting. And yeah, and I, I must admit the first time, I took my old, see, the other thing that they do is they, they swag bikes, they call it. So you can take, if your frame is showing a bit of distress over the years, and mine certainly was, they'll dismantle the bike and dip your frame in this amazing powder black sort of, uh, you know, and then they'll completely restore your bike. And <clears throat> I think that service costs, I think, 250 quid to get your frame swagged and everything re-put back on your bike. So it's, it looks like a new mm. bike. And that is stamped with a unique number that tells you the story about which mechanic restored your bike and all that sort of thing. And um, I must confess, the first time they did that to my old road bike, they did it for free. Oh. I just got it as a favour. because I was sponsored. About it. Yeah, it was a little bit kind of an insider. And I've been feeling slightly guilty about, you know, literally taking them for my ride ever since. Uh, so I was down there recently and I was looking at their stock of amazing pre-swagged bikes and I just went, oh, I'm going to have that one. Yeah. So I, I just walked. Yeah, down. I walked down to Lewisham Shopping Centre to get some carrots and, uh, and <laughs> half a dozen eggs, and came out with a four hundred and fifty pound bike. Yeah, nice. that's what walkable neighbours will do for yeah. you, isn't it? Being able to drop off and get your shopping. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> if you'd gone and parked your car, you wouldn't have been able to go and you wouldn't been able to buy a bike, would you? I would not have been able to buy a bike. There you go. No, wow. no. Although the funny thing is, and I can't remember whether I mentioned this the first time, Lewisham Shopping Centre has, like most shopping centres, incredibly strict rules about you can't take a bike into the shopping centre. Mm-hmm. You can't even wheel it through, yes. right? So, but they have a retail unit in the, in the shopping bikes center. in the shopping centre. So they have to go through this whole rigmarole. They've got this trolley and a silk cloth. Oh. And, and they, they put the bike on the trolley and then cover it in this silk cloth and you both wheel it out. And the security guards just go, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That was one of my favourite. That was one of my personal, from a personal note because I'm I'm a big fan of Stephanie. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. But we've had some amazing guests, haven't we? Um, not least I think the couple of guests who came into this podcast studio relatively recently to talk about something that was on the face of it, Adam, quite tangential to the issue of active travel. But but it struck us as increasingly important, and we had these those special. Disinformation, about, about yeah. misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. yeah, and I learned the difference for the, yeah. the first time. Yeah, that's a bit of a I won't be able to remember. What's the, the difference between misinformation <laughs> and disinformation? So misinformation is deliberately spreading a falsehood, and disinform 
Oh, hang on. Is, is it the other way, way around? Other way around. Disinformation. Is the wrong bit. And misinformation is the... Accidental bit. Okay, so no, we'll have to go back and listen. Oh, my God. <laughs> listen to our former episodes and uh, tweet us or something and tell us what looking it actually is. But it's not, but it's not in, you know, what we learned is it's not um, without real significance in the areas of, uh, you know, specifically concerning public opinion about you know, the, the direction of travel yeah. and the means of travel. Yeah. And like in all walks of life, you know, these debates are prone to malign influence aren't they yeah and at the best of times they are and and you know we're going into heightened you know general elections things like that and um it's probably going to get more silly before it starts to become a bit more normal again so i think being aware of the tactics that Mm. are being used are really important but also um also being aware of how vulnerable you are. Yeah, yeah all it's not of just us. Like, you yeah. know, I think there's a temptation sometimes, isn't there, from the chattering classes to sit on the outside and go, look at all these people being misinformed and disinformed. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Is. But mm. we are just as susceptible to, to c- consuming and, and, and construing the wrong information at the wrong time. It's very, very easy yeah. to do. Because we all do this thing where we kind of have a shortcut for life, which makes sense. You get up in the morning, you don't think about brushing your teeth. I think this was the example that Shioni gave us. You just do it. And, and that kind of helps us get through life, an increasingly complex world that we live in. And and we kind of do that with information. We see something, oh, that looks like it's right. And also it plays into the kind of aligning with our values and with our communities. And, you know, we have obviously we have this kind of need to be part of a community and a group. And I think it just taps into all of these different elements of our of who we are basically as, as humans. And, and and we need to kind of challenge that a little bit. But that was really interesting and quite shocking. Mm. And um, I came across the whole topic by accident. It was Mark Strong from Brighton who'd um, seen, I think, Shayoni talking at an event and mentioned her to me. And um, yeah, once you, yeah, once you start looking at it, it's amazing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and Armil Khan was great as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 We had um, we had a natural minister here. We had a um, climate did, change minister for, absolutely for, for, from for Wales. Wales. Yeah, no, of course, Mark. Drakeful has just announced his oh, Drakeford, intention. Yeah. Drakeford, sorry, Drakeford, yeah. to, Drake, um, to, to stand down yes. next spring, I think. Yeah. So there's a succession plan in place there. But uh, the more I read about Mark Drakeford and his impacts, the more I understood he's not, not a character I knew a great deal about until I think the pandemic came along where he kind of became more high profile because he was a very, or is a very kind of deliberately low-key politician yeah. in lots of ways, but with a very forceful set of principles yeah. about him yeah. and quite prepared to push through in the teeth, uh, relatively seemingly unpopular proposals in the yeah. teeth of opposition. And, yeah, yeah. and, um, and I wonder, uh, do you know much about this sort of political scene in Adam with your sort of half a foot in politics as you are, whether, whether or not a lot of it was down to him and whether or not some of that might be dissipated with his... Yeah, I think um, I don't know loads about Welsh politics. I've been looking up on it when we had when we had Lee and since then and following it a little bit. I think it takes strong leadership, but also let's just be honest. You know, Lee, who we had on the show and is going to be a strong person driving this. You know, cabinets change all the time, so Mm. uh, a new leader could mean a whole new cabinet with someone who's fairly ambivalent. On this agenda, yeah. but Lee um, said he wouldn't support someone who, or he he would he would support someone who is going to be strong on climate, and th- and he's kind of tweeted that, saying mm. you know very deliberately saying that he would support someone who's who's strong on environment, and he really believes it. Mm. Yeah. But it was Mark Drayford who made the decision around not building the M4 relief yep. road yep. in Newport, the Newport Cardiff relief road, which everyone believed was like this sort of what they called it the boot on the windpipe of the Welsh economy, and. Um, 
and decided they, were, they weren't going to do it. They were going to do buses and walking and cycling instead, which is hugely bold. And I think I remember Lee saying while we were here about how Welsh politics kind of goes under the radar sometimes. Like people don't get as excited about it as they do as English with English politics or Scottish politics. That actually um, they're able to do more bold stuff because actually it kind of it sort of escapes a lot of the culture mm. wars and a lot of the mainstream media. And I wonder mm. if that's why he's been able to get away with, you know, or get away with, to be, be able to deliver this stuff without the big hoo-ha in yeah. some of the yeah, media yeah, yeah. that we've seen in, over in England. And, and where are we at with 20 mile an hour cities and towns and zones? And I mean, it strikes me that most of London, London yeah. boroughs are 20 miles an hour now. Well, like almost 20. every London borough, every London borough, right? Um, Newham, where I live, is currently discussing implementation on a rolled out basis across okay. Newham. So it hasn't happened in Newham. But I do feel like 20 miles an hour is like a really positive thing from this year because yes. we had Wales, obviously, mm, and we yeah. talked to Lee about this. But also um, Surrey is doing rolling out 20 miles an hour. It's already started mm. quite a large area. Bit by bit, it's rolling it out default because, you know, they have these windy, like most of the UK has these tiny, windy little country lanes. You can't see what's around the corner. I mean, on a personal note, default I detest 60. riding around Surrey. Yeah. It's one of the most frightening it's places. It's terrifying. Um, yeah. It can be quite aggressive. Because it's very congested as well. There's a lot, yeah. of, there's a lot of t- villages and towns yeah. in that kind of western, southwestern fringe of London. Mm. And, and a lot of the cars are very big. <laughs> yeah. Because of certain bigger. demographic that lives mm-hmm. there the same um, in Essex <laughs> and uh, yeah it's a real I think it's a really cycling unfriendly yeah. mm. despite the fact that they kind of sat at the heart mm-hmm. of the 2012 golden cycling boom story with Box yeah. Hill and the Olympic road race passing crazy. through and then the yeah. ride London heritage thing that happened after that which lasted a few years before Surrey kicked it out yeah um, quite a few years actually it was only a couple of yeah. years ago they stopped doing the ride London yeah. 100 wasn't it it's moved to Essex 20 on uh, single track roads. Um, so, I mean, I mean, if you look at this fresh, yeah. most roads, if you if an alien came and landed and you said, what speed limit should this road be? And it's like a single track road. You need 60. to say, yeah, maybe 60 miles an hour default, regardless of the, the circumstances. Yeah. But it's funny because they've already done a lot of the kind of main roads. Mm. So like the kind of bigger roads because of collisions there and people were driving too fast for the conditions. But it's funny because I grew up in in and around these little narrow country lanes in Somerset and people try and achieve 60. They kind of see 100%. it as a goal. You know, and, and you know, on the on a slightly darker note, uh, in the sport that I cover, I'm afraid, you know, year on year, riders who train on the open roads, mm. professional cyclists who train on the open roads and indeed race on the on closed roads, but tra- have to train on the open yeah. roads, suffer life-changing injuries yeah. on a monthly basis. And These fatalities. young athletes with that, I mean, um, for anyone... To, yeah, and not just in this anyone. country. It's not, it's a, yeah. you know, in Spain and in, in, in the Netherlands and yeah. in Belgium, it happens, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah. Is this increasing? So, yeah. I think it is increasing. I think that, feels like it. It feels it like it is. Feel the frequency like is 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 for whatever reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Mm. Um, the NFU had a raw road safety report recently, which showed that uh, NFU collisions. Farmers. That's yeah. the farmers union. They, yeah. they do car insurance. This is not sponsored by NFU, but um, anyway, they they highlighted <laughs> highlighted um, that collisions on raw roads are around four times more likely to result in a yes. fatality. Um, and that probably links into what we've just been saying yeah, about the speed, yeah. speed, basically. Yeah, yeah, speed and yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And we've got 20, um, 20 Cummings default for Scotland. Yes, another, 2025. Another positive is the pavement parking <gasps> yes. uh, rules in Scotland oh, yes. now, which, um, you know, have been uh, have passed and come into effect. So, yeah, not everywhere, but it feels like it's definitely a step forward for road safety and I say the stuff just hasn't you know the anti thing just hasn't cut through and I think for me what really brought it home was seeing a 
politicians stood on College Green talking about, you know, the scourge of 20 mile an hour zones being totally inappropriate in a borough that is entirely 20 miles an hour for the safety of everyone <laughs> in it, including politicians, installed by a conservative administration. Um, and I just think, you know, it's just, I think most people can see through it. And, and anybody who's worked with local politicians, which I do a lot, knows that the majority of things that are in their inbox are bad parking, speeding and bins. Mm. Um, so they're big topics. Well, two of those are three big topics mm. for councillors. So the idea that there's going to be some sort of cultural mounted upon what most people want anyway doesn't seem like the best strategy. Mm. Mm. We're going through, on my street in South East London, we're going through an informal consultation now about, about improving our street. I think Lewisham are doing a sort of borough-wide uh. consultation about what measures would you like to to make your streets more livable, really. And um, and I wasn't able to do it because I was elsewhere, but my partner went to, to the local meeting and she said it was quite interesting because it is quite a classic London street in the sense of it's a little bit 52% versus 48% in either way <laughs> mm-hmm. as to whether or not you, your household owns a car. And there's a lot of pavement parking on both sides of a classic Victorian terrace yeah. street, really. But some of the arguments are get from the car, the motoring lobby against um, measures like, can we have more trees? were quite extraordinary mm. about yeah but they drop all their leaves on yes, the I've cars don't they so more cars less trees i think is probably the answer because that, <laughs> it is bonkers but, it's astonishing. but yeah. arguments which would have seemed quite mainstream actually and probably quite accepted and by and large people would have nodded along to maybe 10 20 years ago about that's really annoying isn't it our paintwork getting do you now seem to be a little bit mm. fringe and a little yeah. bit i'm sorry run that by me again you're worried about the paintwork on your car rather than the benefits of having a tree mm-hmm. on your street. We've, it's really come into focus the last couple of years with the heat wave in 2021. Uh, having a, I mean, when London gets hot, it gets super yes. hot. And We're just going to need passing, shade and shelter, aren't we? We used this one of the things I remember you talking tree, about. Yeah. You know, purple trees, yeah. Yeah. thousands of yeah. trees. Yeah. Yeah. Do it yeah. now. Yeah. We can never do it fast yeah. enough, basically. No, we're not going to. But they need yeah. maintaining afterwards. And I planted three little trees. I've, I've started hugging year, trees. In literally January. hugging trees. I love to hug a tree. I, I literally, it's great, what? isn't it? What do you mean yeah. literally hugging? Literally a hug a tree. Give him a little hug. A tree hugger. I'm a tree hugger. Have you never done it? Well, no. Why would you hug the tree? You're I can understand enjoying the tree. Um, isn't there some? Isn't there some research from Japan about? Or there's a there's a culture of tree bathing, and there's something. There is some something behind this idea that trees give off something that's good for us. And also... I swear blind, I can feel the... I can feel the... the um, good vibrations. Well, the movement within the... You know, they have veins, don't they? Yeah, they on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel it. They're alive. Um, well, I've... Thing. Yeah, I've certainly enjoyed... I'm sometimes worried people think that, you know, people who are into sustainable travel and nicer places... Tree live huggers. A bit, tree huggers. We literally strange, are. But no, there's no risk of that. Well, I did. Ha- I hugged a tree song. this year, actually. And I've, I've, I've planted three little trees in January and I've been taking care of them, carrying out buckets of water oh, to them. Delightful. Well done, you. Makes me very happy. Yeah, and which other which other guests stand out in your memory? I mean, we we had some extraordinary contributions from people representing the families who you know quite recently actually. Gosh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you and your area had this terrible spate of accidents that mm. cost a lot. No crashes, collisions. collisions. Yeah. yeah. Fatal hit one, and run. One of my learnings was not to yeah. use the word. So yeah. ingrained in our language. I'm as so well. ingrained, and I yeah. just tripped over it again. Collisions, which cost the life of people, and um, and the various consequences and fallout from that, including sentencing, which was, I think, the mm. last time... Polly Herbert. Yeah, we had Polly on uh, in our episode. Uh, we had both the campaign group and Polly separately talking about their own different perspectives. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking about highs and lows, aren't we? And, and that was that was a significant yeah. 
low point because even though the solutions seem, I mean, not straightforward, but it seems like, you know, there are some things that everyone needs it's to quite improve. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It mm. seems so off the agenda, you know, like like even starting the conversation around sentencing and, and things like exceptional hardship and, you know, stuff like that just feels like it, it, at the moment it would fall on deaf ears. And that's quite depressing. And like with most of this stuff, the problem is so big to solve. You think, well, where do I start? And everything you do, and I include the stuff that I've been working on in this, is it feels, it feels, it's not, but it feels in, inconsequential because, you know, effectively five people are dying every day in this country as a result of motor collisions and several, many more having life changing injuries and, you know, changing traffic light phasing on one junction doesn't feel like that's going to stop the bleeding if you like for want of a better phrase so you've done a lot of work with police in the west midlands and you've shown there's been a fair amount of impact i mean you've done a few you shared a few videos of going out with police and targeting red light jumpers and people speeding and no insurance and stuff. yeah i mean but that's what the scale of it is right so it's good and i'm you know i'm proud of everyone who's been involved and especially the community groups who have, who have stepped forward. And you pushed for this, didn't you, after... Yeah, but I just want to say is, it, is it's, you know, you realise you're there with one police unit and there's not that many more Yeah, at one junction mm. in one city. Mm. Um, and why experience going out with the police is, is this kind of uh, road danger, like tackling it is like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. So many just... people breaking the law out there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I think I might mention on a previous podcast, but I was in with one officer for one hour as a passenger in his car. And just in one residential square kilometer, I would say we were involved in three different police pursuits in, wow. in one hour. First one was a stolen motorbike. The second one was had drugs in the back seat and imitation firearms in the boot. And the third one was a, uh, had like 15 mobile phones and drug paraphernalia and a baseball bat. So, and that was just in one area with one police officer mm. in one hour. Daunting. And you mm. think Daunting. you scale that across an entire region where, you know, there are about a million uninsured drivers yeah. estimate in this, in the, in this country. The thing that, the thing that is reasons to be positive, I think that, uh, there was a lot of anger and there is a lot of anger and the anger is absolutely right and shared. Um, but I felt that a lot of it came from powerlessness um, yeah. because you feel like, you know, the system can't help you. There's nothing you can do about it. And what was able to be shown, and there was some, you know, some great police officers that have worked on this really hard to get it back to where it needs to be is through the third party dash cam reporting, mm-hmm. um, dash and helmet cam reporting. So in July... 2023, just 4% of submissions had any form of action on. And in October, it was 81% positive action. And November, 92% positive action. Yeah. And the submissions are going higher every month. Because once people it, know and, that they're going to be acted upon, they're more likely to make they, the effort. Because it is an effort, isn't it, to submit these It, it is, but, but also, you know, it's a deterrent. And more motorists submit than cyclists so this idea that it's some sort of a helmet cam thing of, you know cycling mikey and lots nobody of other wants people. those people on the road do they i mean no they nobody the wants those people we're all united against bad 
driving and that being known as uh, I think a really powerful deterrent because we're never going to have enough traffic police yeah. to be mm. everywhere someone described it to it. me as um, we can't be everywhere but we could be anywhere exactly. kind of thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's quite a nice yeah. little catchy catchphrase but that's yeah. the thing once you know that there's a chance you're going to be caught I mean in the, in the same way as once you think your, your submission is going to be acted upon it does change your behaviour because I mean most people want to do the right thing but there changes are changes most people's behaviour yeah there are yeah. some people yeah. who need yeah. to know that they're going to potentially yeah. lose their licence or have a significant fine or even mm. face jail time if if they um carry on behaving that way so yeah what you've done in the west midlands is is amazing because i mean the problem there is just rife you yeah i live in east london and we have some pretty bad ones but i from the outside it seems like mm. birmingham has a real problem the the stats have changed recently because they've just issued a new report but um yeah. last year in the country for the top 10 uninsured postcodes in the country birmingham had eight of them um wow. which is which is you know How it's weird. really acute mm. it's really acute yeah but we're, we're on it and yeah. you've got it, you know, we're, we're closer to fixing this than we were, albeit still a way off. So we'll keep, we'll keep planning on. Well, on a totally different subject, the, that's the last thing I want to mention is, um, Laura, our, our little excursion around the Barbican Centre at Pedways. Yes, do you remember that? Yes. That's we brilliant. did a walking. We should do more walking. We should do more Walk. walking. It's quite, <laughs> do we say this quite difficult year? to do, but, uh, <laughs> but it was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we got a little guided tour around, um, with round. Alison Gowman. Yeah. Alderman Alison Gowman. An alderman of the City of London who lived on the 19th floor of one of the barbecues, yes. or the 26th wow. floor or something like that. Amazing. Um, where Robert Elms, the DJ, he lives up there, doesn't he? No, it? really? Yeah, that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Because it was simultaneously... It was wonderful. I couldn't get my head around it. It was like, on the one hand, this is a terrible idea, you know, <laughs> building these high line pedestrian footways because you've got to keep the street free to car. You can't have that, you know, so get the pedestrians yeah. out of the way. Yeah should be a terrible idea but somehow there's something about it yeah. that has created a kind of a when done correctly and in the right way it creates an environment that actually has a life of its own yeah and that was my learning from that and i you know the, the barbican stands on its own as a kind of beacon of brutalist architecture mm. that works and, mm. and has worked enduringly yeah um so, a that's a question, to wander around, isn't it's a it? question for architects really isn't it and town planners but but there is a sort of a, there's a significant kind of lesson there for active travel going forward you yeah. know if we, if we are going to embark on this national house building program mm. then people got to go walk around the barbican and kind of like figure yeah. out the bits that work and why you and know, of itself and that don't work. parts of it don't work parts of it are kind of bleak and lifeless yeah but then but then you can also reconfigure them and yes, repurpose them and don't yes. give up on them and you know, you Ultimately, know don't just like, knock everything down and build something even worse yeah because being is, in a pedestrianised environment with no car but not being set upon by cars or kind of with the noise of the air pollution you don't have to cross the road yeah. that part of it was really really nice wasn't it and being yeah. in that wonderful and then we kind of finished it was a bit of a finale that area around the Barbican yeah. the museum and everything when you're looking down on the water and you've got but, all yeah, these trailing but plants. But yeah, I come back to the fundamental contradiction that all that came about because they didn't want pedestrians anywhere yeah. near their motor vehicles. So it's yeah. very odd. Mm. I can't, I still can't, I think about that all the time. And I there's loads of space down, just yeah. like London Wall, that place, you know, yeah. where you're talking about the museum, there's loads of space there, massive roundabout, hardly utilised with <laughs> exactly. the amount of traffic flow. You know, that could be a nice yeah. public square in another, yeah. in another life, couldn't it? Yeah. In another life. Yeah. yeah. And the Museum of London has now moved or moving. It's moving. Midfields. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, uh, Farringdon, isn't it? Or Spitalfields? Smithfields. Smithfields. Oh, Smithfields. Smithfields. Mm. Sorry, it's Smithfields. Yeah, Smithfields. Yeah, you're right. Similar, but not the same. So yeah. there we go. So we've, do we have a bit it's of news? Right. It's been okay, isn't it? Yeah, it's we... been, been all right. Um, yeah, we're going to... The news, news is oh, yeah. we're going to um, keep doing this podcast and we like doing it. And the, the news is that people can get more stuff if they would like to. There's no 
there's no pressure. We will continue to record this podcast as we do at the frequency we do it at. Um, but I, I went through an urge to design some stickers, and I thought, would people like Streets Ahead stickers? Of course they um, would. I thought that would be the answer. So we've got them done, and um, you can see those on our new Patreon. This, which is, what, this is, is what they sound uh, like. That's oh, this the, is a sticker ASMR. In the, in the, yeah. <laughs> I had to pay extra for that. <laughs> in the in the pack in the packet, yeah. How many are in a pack? There's uh, seven in a in a pack. Um, the only way you can get hold of these stickers is if you each one's are, different. It should be said they are all different. Um, the only way you can get hold of these stickers is if you are either Laura Ned or me, or you join our Patreon, and that is uh, a small way that for for roughly the price of a coffee or a large coffee with some of that horrible syrup in it, you can get uh, access to this podcast completely ad free but you can also uh, get these stickers as a thank you and we're going to put little behind the scenes content things like that and uh, it will hopefully help us go and do more stuff yeah Um, go and do more interesting episode road trips carbon sensible road trips Laura got the train to Barcelona, we must add. But uh, yeah, these Jealous are, of that. this is this I is know. Amazing. I went all the way to Seville actually on so the train, cool. so but cool. in two legs. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. Great trains over there. Yeah. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash streets ahead podcast, uh, you can have a look there and we'd love to send you some stickers. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what's everyone's plans for Christmas, I suppose, is the last thing that I should be asking you. Somerset. I'm Somerset bound. Also Somerset, on the train. Well, I know quite a bit about Somerset. So it's my bike ride through Minehead oh, yeah, to Minehead. Oh, yeah, you to yeah. Minehead, yeah. where my mum grew up. Yeah, yeah Somerset levels my... and all that. Well, your mum grew up in Minehead, didn't she? Yeah, from age six. She went to school in Minehead. Yeah. yeah. Originally from the West We stay in Dunster. You know Dunster? Yes, no, Dunster well. We stay in the Lateral Arms in Dunster, which is... I love the Lateral Arms. It's just the most fantastic place. Yeah, very oldie-worldie, oh, full of beams, gosh, little rooms in the pub. It's beautiful. bed and all yes. that. It's just great. Yes, I think my grandma used to, or my great-grandma used to stay there before they moved down there. She used to, come, used to visit from Stoke-on-Trent yeah, and, Dunster's and stay unreal, there. Yeah, it yeah. just looks like a film set, doesn't it's it? Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so yeah. oldie-worldie village. I need to go. I don't know you do need there. to go. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. I think Inundate people with... Do great Sunday roast. Yeah, arms. it's just that kind of place. Yeah, um, Adam. Oh, oh yeah, uh, you're you're disappearing with the family. I'm going, yeah, getting yeah, out. Yeah, of, yeah. Getting I, out. I'm not really a Christmas person. I don't, I'm not really a Christmas person. Yeah, and um, doesn't do joy. Uh, don't do joy, <laughs> happiness, um, or, or anything like that. So, or cooking. With so. your beard, you make a bit of a... Have you ever done Santa? Like, no. no you uh, I dressed up as Santa for a bike ride once, but it wasn't very convincing. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> my heart wasn't in it. Um, ho, yeah, ho, 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 ho. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and um, I'm really I'm looking forward to having a bit of time off, really. Frankly. Yeah, you do work um, hard. So, you know, yeah. that'll be that'll be that'll be nice. And things to look out for in 2024 are the publication of Laura Laker's book. Yes, yeah. first book. Which is scheduled for? May the 9th. May the 9th. Can't wait. And the title is? Potholes. Pe- pe- mm, potholes and Pavements. You're going to have to get better at oh, this. Oh, God. You're potholes and Pavements. A bumpy ride on Britain's National Cycle Network. That's brilliant. And I've read it and it's outstanding and it's going to be Aww. a huge success. And everyone who listens to this is going to buy it, which is going to be great for you. <laughs> and for them, obviously. And hopefully the National Cycle Network. Yeah, maybe, maybe someone will give it some love. National Cycle Network. Some money. Yeah, well, some money mainly and then some love. <laughs> All right, then, well, I'll see you the other side of um, December 31st and when it becomes yeah. 2024. Where are you and going? You- Staying in London? Yeah. With the kittens? Yeah, with the kittens. And other family. Um, you've been, you've, we don't do Christmas presents. That's good. good.
yeah, we just don't do it. Uh, but we do do a bit of joy. Um, you've been listening to, you've been listening to all throughout 2023, all throughout 2023, you've been listening to Streets Ahead, now available on Patreon as well. Our editor throughout 2023, and a big thank you to Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate, review us, sign up to Patreon if you wish, get the stickers and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Ho, ho, ho. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.